The reading this morning is from the book of Hebrews. You may recall a month ago when I was here, we looked at the first, the opening verses of Hebrews chapter 12. We'll be looking at another passage further on in the chapter today. But we'll read Hebrews chapter 12 from verses 1 through verse 13. Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Thus far, God's word. For the sermon this morning, we'll focus on verses 7 through 11 of Hebrews chapter 12. We'll read those verses together again. Hebrews chapter 12, from verse 7 to verse 11. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Thus far, God's word. After the sermon, we'll sing together from hymn 74, all four stanzas. 
Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, how is it possible that God is loving, all good, all powerful, and yet there is suffering in this world? How is this possible? Secular philosophers call this the problem of evil. And they'll argue that it is, in fact, impossible. It's impossible for a good God who is all-powerful to exist alongside suffering in this world. And so they'll tell you, if you're experiencing suffering, if you're going through hardships and difficulties, well, there's no sense in looking to God because he obviously doesn't exist. A different attack on those who face hardships in this life comes from a more unlikely corner, comes from the health and wealth gospel, which is circulated by so-called Christians. And those who advance this false gospel, and there are many of them, suggest that if we're right with God, if we have a right relationship with God, then we're going to be blessed with material blessings beyond measure. God always awards obedience with physical blessings, they say. And that means that if you're experiencing hardships, if you're experiencing difficulties, then there must be something wrong with your relationship with God. You need to try harder. You need to live better and hope for better days when God again blesses your obedience. Now, both of these false religions make the same mistake. They both assume that suffering and hardship in this life is a problem for those who have a relationship with God. But our text tells a much different story. It tells us that actually it's precisely in our moments of suffering and hardship and difficulty that we should recognize God's love most clearly. One theologian put it this way, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our consciences, but he shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. We are reminded this morning that our earthly troubles don't prove that God isn't there. Instead, they do the complete opposite. They demonstrate to us that God is there, that God loves us, and that we are his children. The good news in our text is that our earthly hardships are a testimony to our status as children of God. Our Father is using them to mold us and shape them, shape us into his image. He's using them to strengthen us in our race of faith. And so we're called also to see them in this light. We're called to submit ourselves to the hardships in this world, in faith, to offer ourselves up to our loving Father and the work that he's doing in us. That then is the message of this morning's sermon. Submit yourself to your loving Father's discipline. And you'll see that you will live as his child, you'll share in his holiness, and you'll produce a harvest. First then, if you submit yourself to your Father's loving discipline, you will learn to live as his child. Now, the message of our text is really quite a simple one. Endure hardship 
as discipline. That is, look at the difficulties you face in this life as part of the process of your education, of your discipleship or training. These hardships are not outside the realm of God's control, as the secular philosophers might suggest. And they're not a sign of God's curse, as those who advance the prosperity gospel may try to tell you. Instead, they're part of your schooling, so to speak. Now, the author of Hebrews is drawing on another familiar reality. Last time we saw how he drew on the picture of the race. Now he's drawing on the, the household, the picture of the household in the ancient world. And the father of the household was responsible for educating his children, for disciplining them, for instructing them. This was the process that they called paideia. That's the word that's translated in our text as discipline. And it covered a wide range of aspects in the household. The English word discipline makes us think primarily of punishment. At least it does for me. But paideia meant basically anything that contributed to the development of a child. That included punishment, but it was also much more than that. And now the father of the household was ultimately the one who was responsible for administrating this paideia, for ensuring that his son received the training that was needed. The son was the heir of the household, the one who would continue on the family name, the hope for the future of the family as well. And so he needed to be taught everything that went with the responsibilities of living as heir of the household. He needed to be prepared also that he could take up the place as head of the household when the time came. Now this father, this Roman father, might also have other children in the household. Sometimes he would have children with even the slave women who were part of his household. That was his right as the master. And these children became slaves themselves. They had no rights. They were illegitimate children. And so the master would generally not bother educating them. He wouldn't have them undergo this paideia process. All they needed to know what was, what was necessary for fulfilling their household chores or whatever other task he might assign them. It wasn't necessary for illegitimate children to undergo this process of discipline and training. That's the picture we're to imagine here in our text this morning. The author of Hebrews is saying to us that hardships in life are part of God's paideia program, of his disciplining process. And like the Roman father, God only disciplines those who are his pride and joy. He only disciplines those who are his children. That means that our hardships, our difficulties, don't separate us from God's love. They're not a sign of God's absence, but are precisely a proof of that love. Only children receive discipline. And only those God loves as his own, those he's adopted as his children through Jesus Christ, are worthy of receiving discipleship and training in his loving hands. That's the secret. That's the secret to understanding suffering in this world. That's the secret to understanding hardships also in the life of the Christian. They are a sign of God's love. But then the opposite is also true. 
The author of Hebrews warns us too that if we are not experiencing discipline, if there are no hardships for us in this life because we are content to be living in sin, if we don't experience the pains of wrestling with our sinful flesh, if life is easy because we're simply coasting along, then beware. Because God only disciplines those he loves. That's the same for earthly fathers, isn't it? The author of Hebrews is using this earthly model that is so familiar to us to illustrate the truth about God's discipline. Human fathers need to discipline their children too. That's only loving. It's not loving to allow children to grow up in an environment where there are no rules and no consequences for breaking the rules. And we ourselves, by disciplining our children, are seeking to develop their godly character, to deepen their understanding of who they are, who they are apart from Christ, and who they are in Christ, and what demands God also places on us when we have a relationship with him. And that requires things even for our own children that we might say are hardships, that our children see as hardships too. Sometimes it means inflicting pain. Sometimes it means withholding things. Sometimes it means giving them things that they don't want. But always in love. Love means that discipline is given, but it also dictates how discipline is given. And when we do it in love, we know from this earthly model that our children will respect us for it. They'll learn to trust also that their parents have their best interests in mind. That even though it's painful at times, even though it's annoying or irritating, the opposite is much worse. Because lack of discipline can also mean lack of love. Now it's this same respect, this same trust that the author of Hebrews is calling us to have towards God in heaven. And trust also that the hardships God places in our way must be seen in the same way. The author of Hebrews says to us, do you respect human author, human fathers who discipline their children? Good. Then how much more shouldn't you respect also the father in heaven when he disciplines you? He contrasts earthly fathers, calling them fathers of the flesh with the father of our spirits. And if children can see our love when we discipline them, despite even our discipline of them, how much more shouldn't we recognize in God's discipline also his deep love? So when you are running the race of faith and you come upon a wall of pain, of confusion, of hardship, or despair, then don't try to look through it, beyond it, to what lies in the future. It's impossible to see through. Instead, look up. Look up into the face of your Heavenly Father, your loving Father, and then recognize that He is there disciplining you in love. And then submit also to His loving work in your life. And then recognize, too, that God doesn't willingly inflict suffering on his children. He doesn't do so happily. Just like as a parent, you might say to your child, this hurts me more than it hurts you. So also God, 
we read in Scripture, does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Lamentations 3, verse 33. That is, God doesn't find satisfaction in the suffering and hardship, but he finds joy in the benefit, in the result of that discipline. And while we might be inclined, humanly speaking, to discipline in anger, our Heavenly Father is always tender and careful in his discipline. No one disciplines with greater love and care. No one is more sensitive to our own particular needs, our own particular emotions and our feelings. No one comes even close to our infinitely loving God. And so then the answer to your suffering is humble submission. Submit to the father of your spirits because that's where true life is found. True life is found in submitting to your heavenly father. True life is found in recognizing that hardships and struggles and suffering are not outside the reach of his power, but that it's precisely there that we experience our relationship with him. Only he has the capacity to fill your darkest moments, your most difficult trials with meaning and purpose. Only he is able to fill the darkest moments with the light of his love. Because it's at these moments that he's binding us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, Christ has gone on before us, as we saw last time. Christ is the pioneer, the trailblazer. His obedience in the face of suffering and his faithfulness to the hardships that God placed on his path. His acceptance of the way of the cross. His submission of his body to the grave for our sakes. These fill our own trials and sufferings with intense meaning. It's because of Christ that your suffering is not meaningless. It's because of Christ that your loneliness is not meaningless. Your depression is not meaningless. Your sadness is not meaningless. Your fight against addiction is not meaningless because of Christ. Because of Christ's sufferings and his obedience to hardship, our own sufferings and hardships are full of meaning because they're the means by which God is disciplining us, educating us, shaping us after his image, shaping us to become the sons and daughters that he wants us to be. They bind us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because God is not just treating us as sons. He is treating us, in fact, as his own beloved son. When he looks at us, he sees Jesus Christ. He sees you through Jesus Christ. And he's busy preparing you also for the reward that the pioneer and perfecter of our faith has won for us already. For our Heavenly Father does not discipline us without purpose. We see that in the second place, that we share in his holiness. Now, as parents, we may struggle to be consistent in disciplining our children and keeping the goal in front of us. We may simply try to correct behavior rather than addressing the heart. We do our best, but we recognize that our best efforts are ultimately inadequate 
and weak. You may think for yourself, either as a parent on the giving end or a child on the receiving end, of how often discipline fails. That's what the letter writer is getting at when he writes, Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. He's setting up a contrast again between our poor efforts at discipline and God's perfect paideia program for each and every one of us. Our best efforts are weak and inadequate, but God's discipline is always on the mark and always advances his goal. So what is this goal which he has for us? God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. We may share the holiness of the holy God. That's the incredible goal of God's discipline in our lives. It was a goal that he had set already for mankind when he created us. That was the purpose, that we were created in his image so that we could share his holiness so that we could reflect his glory. We were his special creation, set apart from other creatures, uniquely receiving the status of image bearers of God himself. But the fall into sin, it ruined that picture in us. It ruined that image almost beyond recognition. It distorted it. And in our fallen state, as we are in sin, we have no right to share in God's holiness. It's an impossibility, in fact. How can sinful, polluted man share the holiness of the Almighty God? But God has chosen us as His own. Those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, He adopts as His children through Christ. And then He has us undergo this Paideia program so that we might look more and more like the children of God he wants us to be. So that we can again take up this role as image bearers, reflecting his character, sharing his holiness. He's taking weak, imperfect, sinful people like you and I, and he's at work in us, removing imperfections, removing distortions, removing perversions of the image of God in us. And he does this in part through the hardships and sufferings that we face. Perhaps the Old Testament image of the refiner helps you understand it here. The refiner's task was to purify metal for strength or for beauty. So the refiner would create an intense fire, an incredibly hot fire. And then he would place that metal into the hottest part of the flames to melt away any impurities and imperfections. And only when he pulled that metal out and saw himself reflected in that metal did he know that those imperfections had been removed. And so God also is at work in us, bringing us to that pure state that he desires for us. He puts us into the middle of the flames, not to burn us or to destroy us, but to melt away any impurities that cling to us, to get rid of any imperfections that are still there. He wants to reveal in us, at the end of his process, the perfect image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
You see, the father submitted his own son to hardship and suffering so that he might reveal in him also and promote him to glory and have him share perfectly in holiness. And now through Christ, God is doing the same thing with us. He's treating us as sons and daughters by disciplining us. Because he also wants us to share in that holiness. He wants us to also receive that reward as heirs of the household of God. That we may share in the Father's glory. So are you experiencing hardships? Are you facing a steep mountain? Or are you going through a dark valley? Well, know that God is treating you as his child. Know also that God has your best interests in mind. Know that he's at work with you here and now that you may share in his holiness and consider that your present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in you. Romans 8 verse 18. When we understand our hardships in this way, then we can learn to submit to God's discipline. It's for our eternal welfare. We share in Christ's suffering so that we may also share in his glory. But that suffering is not just for the distant future, for the end of the race. It also prepares us for this life, prepares us and shapes us for life on the road to glory in the race of faith. It produces a harvest here and now already. That's our third point. While we're in the middle of hardships, that's going to be difficult to see and to accept. The letter writer observes it himself. No discipline. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. That shouldn't surprise us. Training and education can often be painful. Just think of marathon runners who punish their bodies in training to get themselves into shape for their desired goal. Marathons are not run without a serious advanced training that is often painful and difficult. Even training for something like piano playing or organ playing is not without its trials. Not many can play well without discipline, without endless practice. Just ask the organists who play for us every week. In the same way, God's paideia program, his plan of discipline for us is not going to be painless. And that's especially true in those moments of hardship. The fact that we know It's in God's control. The fact that we know he is a loving father, the fact that we can submit even to it, doesn't make it any less painful. But at the same time, this discipline does produce a harvest. That's what we get in the final part of our text. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It yields a fruit It is there's a harvest there already now in our sufferings. These hardships enable us to live out our life already here and now as God intended us to have it. Just like the endless mornings spent at the track are rewarded in the successful completion of a marathon, so also the hardships that we face in this life are molding us, preparing us to face the next obstacle to face the next hurdle, 
These hardships strengthen our faith so that we have the strength to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. This is the harvest we receive, the strength of faith to face the next obstacle. The strength of faith to face the next difficulty in the race of faith. But the writer makes it even clearer than that. What is this harvest that is produced in us? It's the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That is because our sufferings unite us to Christ, because they make us share in God's holiness, we have a right relationship with God. That's our righteousness. We stand here no longer as sinners alone. We stand here as those who have been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And this righteousness, this right relationship with God, bears fruit when discipline is applied. It's a horticultural, a gardening image. Fruit-bearing trees need to be pruned to produce better quality fruit and to ensure that the trees stay healthy. The pruning process, we could say, is painful for the tree, but necessary. And so also God's discipline of us is painful, but necessary, because it produces the fruit of peace. That's the natural fruit of living in a right relationship with God. Because when we have peace with God, then the God of peace also comes into our hearts. And then we learn to live as those who fully and completely depend on God. Then despite the storms that may batter us from outside the world, despite the chaos that may be reigning in our hearts, despite any earthly hardship we may be facing, we rest in the knowledge that we are God's children and that he has our best interests in mind. And then we can take comfort in hearing our Father say to us in love, be still and know that I am God. You see, God is busy with you, preparing you, training you, molding you for your race of faith. If he were to spare you the hardships now, early on or later in the race, you wouldn't have the strength and the fortitude to face the ones that will come later on. In some ways, it's not unlike another horticultural image. Sometimes when you plant a a hedge of emerald cedars side by side in just the same conditions, some survive while others don't. It's the ones that have been grown locally that survive, and the ones that have been imported that don't. The first group is used to unpredictable weather, is used to extreme heat, is used to extreme humidity, at times lack of moisture. Whereas the second group has grown up under plentiful rainfall and mild temperatures. And so when it's placed in a harsher environment, it dies. The same plant, you might say, botanically speaking, but the one has been disciplined for survival and the other one has been too protected. God knows the circumstances that you will face in your life. He knows not only what you have gone through, but also what you will need to get through what lies ahead. In fact, he's placed them all there for your benefit. He knows what lies ahead in the race of faith for each 
and every one of us. And he's busy training us for it so that we will all reach the finish line. Are you experiencing hardships? Are you running a particularly difficult stretch of track? Submit to it as discipline. God has not forgotten you. God is not absent. God has not abandoned you. Far from it. Instead, he says to you this morning, you are my child and I love you. Are you hurting? Trust me. I'm your father and I'm doing this for you. The world tells you that if you are experiencing hardships, that there's no sense in looking to God because he obviously doesn't exist. But we may know in faith And we may take comfort in faith that it is precisely in the darkest moments that God is most busy with us, molding us and shaping us to be that children that he wants us to be. Do you trust him? Amen.